this is not another one of those cast pod thingies, <laughs> is it? Tajan's man, I yeah, know it. I know it. Yeah, I know it too. I really do. Oi, welcome back everyone. Um, Taz Yarns, thanks for joining us. It's going to be an awesome little podcast this one. But firstly, I'd like to thank everyone who has given me the DMs about the Outback Mike episodes. So many people have wrote in so many awesome things. So thanks everybody for the feedback and uh, thanks again Outback Mike for that. Check him out at Outback Mike on Instagram and Facebook and he's also his website. So check him out, his story again. But today we're not venturing far from sort of Outback Mike's history style. We got young William Darvaniza. He is a full-blown historian on the Innisfail area where I live and he knows a lot about what happened probably 150 200 years ago lot that a lot of people don't know about we've got pirates we've got crazy natives we've got we've got everything so this story just depicts is uh, is history's depiction of what happened it's not actually what William is saying or doing it's just history's depiction so we're trying he's trying not to be racist he's trying not to push any angles it's just what was written in the books so if we go go any further take it away William Darvo thanks mate it took me five seconds and I fucked up. But Mate, I was going to say we've come a long way since the fucking <laughs> 4860 podcast, but... <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Dead set, 4860. You can still get that, I think. I don't even know if you can. I'll listen to a couple of them back in the day. Eh? They weren't back bad. in the day. <laughs> no. Oi, cheers. Cheers, mate. Beer song. We've got Emu Export. Is that sponsor? <laughs> Today they are. <laughs> they sponsored me. Fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks for having me, mate. Appreciate it. No, nah, it's really good. I've been wanting to get you on here for a while, actually. Oh, no, we've had a few drunken yarns. <laughs> <laughs> and after the stories you told me, I'm like, fuck, I need to get you on a podcast. This this is, like, amazing, this stuff. There's some like, good ones. In, especially just, like, Innisfail. Yeah. It's pretty fucking wild, the history just... You know on this town that no one in this town would really know yeah and not only that but like every family has their own versions of what happened and you know you grow up hearing stories about the old days but yeah some of the stories are just absolute gold out of there <laughs> and i should say before we get into this i'm not a historian or at all qualified probably to be talking about this <laughs> oh i don't know about that so <laughs> you went to uni and you did pretty all right at history but and uni didn't you i'm a, I'm a history fanatic yeah. I love it. I just love learning about it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think the best thing about history is that, you know, it's one person's versions of events that have happened and um, they've recorded it and the story gets told over and over and it might change over time. Yeah. But um, it's just a little time capsule of single events. Yeah. And it's awesome when you're out in the reef to think, oh, shit, you know, this reef, this is from that story where I'm spearfishing. Yeah. You know, a ship ran aground here 100 yeah. years ago. And you just don't think about stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. But before we delve into all that, we're gonna we're gonna start right at the start of William Darvo. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, I don't, can't even remember if I introduced him. <laughs> Here he is. It's William Darvo, everybody. <laughs> g'day, g'day, g'day. So we'll just go back. Your the, your family, Darvanese family, is a, a well-known Innisfail family. Yeah, we've been here for a while, over 120 years actually. We've been farming here. And um, one of my great, great, great grandfathers was actually the first person to farm in Innisfail. Was he? Yeah, so he was growing corn. <laughs> Poor bastard. <laughs> Probably didn't have much luck with it. <laughs> I think it might have got a bit of mildew. A <laughs> <laughs> couple of wet years and you're done. <laughs> Hang up your hat. Yeah, so he would have had to, like, pretty much cut, knock all the forest down as well. Yeah, mate, and actually it's funny you bring that up because you know what I was doing the moment you messaged me and said, <laughs> you want to do this podcast? Planting trees. <laughs> I was picking up rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you that aren't farmers or fucking early settlers, <laughs> picking up rocks is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> You're going into land that hasn't been worked up for years and you're just picking up rocks. Picking up rocks. <laughs> 
and I suppose that's as good as place as any to start because that's where my interest in all this sort of began, you know, as yeah. a kid picking up rocks and you think, oh, you know, that looks a little bit like an axe head. Yeah. I'll put that aside. Oh, that looks like it's got a handle on it, that rock. It's yeah. got a nice flat edge on one side. I wonder if that's, you know, an, an artifact. Yeah. And you put them aside and you go home and, you know, show some of the Aboriginal workers on the farm or your uncle, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, look what I found. They say, yeah, that's an axe head. And you find hundreds of them, man. Yeah, you, you'd know. I found one the other day, and I've I've left it beside the post because I, I want because I was in the middle of paddock and I couldn't pick it up. So yeah. I was going to go and grab it because it's it's perfectly shaped into yeah, like yeah. an axe head. I found one today as well. Yeah. <laughs> you find them all the time. <laughs> if you know what you're looking for, you can yeah. find it. Especially around here because we've got a lot of the um, basalt rock. Yeah, so yeah. They, they used to love using the basalt rock because it's it, it's when you if, when you busted it actually splits really nice. And yeah, sharp. that's right. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they're easy, really easy to work as well. Yeah, but um, no, it's awesome. And people say like, there's no history in Australia. There's no ancient history or anything like that. You got to go to Europe to see all those old buildings. But if you're on top of a mountain and you find a river rock that shouldn't be there, <laughs> <laughs> and you have a closer look, and oh yeah, that's been worked. That's got you know it's got a sharp edge on it yeah you know you start to think wow maybe we do have a bit of like an ancient culture that yeah. once you start to know what to look for you can pick up on yeah it's only it's only the oldest <laughs> <laughs> the oldest <laughs> continuously <laughs> maybe that's why we're still finding them yeah. <laughs> some bloke's walking home from the crown and just throws his axe in there <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so the fit like just the yeah. To um, so we're in the Innisfail area, just south of Cairns, it's the Casbury Coast region. And um, as my shirt says, you just come, you just pulled out the shirt out of your bag, <laughs> said, "Here you go." I'm like, "What's this shirt?" It's a Casbury Coast board riders <laughs> shirt. So he's, he's welcomed me to the club. Oh man, it's been a long time coming. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably surfed the beach there for I'd say over 30 years. Probably more qualified than me. You should have been giving me a fucking shirt. Well, we were the East Palmerston Board Riders Club. Now we've merged. Yeah, we've merged forces. <laughs> there's, a, there's only about five of us in Innisfail, yeah, so there's... we number in the tens and <laughs> the ones. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, it's good fun. Yeah, every time there's a bit of a wave, there's only a few of us rock up, and you, you, you yeah. know, each, even though you don't, if you didn't know each other, you know each other by the end of the day. <laughs> you know what their board looks like, anyway. <laughs> Who's this fucking wanker? <laughs> No, it's good. We've got a good little community yeah. here. It's good. And we learn to uh, surf inside the net if it's there. <laughs> no, yeah. the best banks are where the anchors of the yeah, net are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I find if they leave the net in, it knocks the top off the stinger net. If anyone's listening, that there's, if anyone's listening, I think someone might be listening. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, it'll be you later on just to hear my voice again. Yeah, that's it. Sweet dulcet tones. <laughs> but it actually knocks the top off the wave, so it makes it a lot smoother when yeah, it comes yeah. in. So when they take the net out, I'm like, fuck! <laughs> back to the slop. Yeah, back to the slop. <laughs> back in the washing machine. <laughs> but no, yeah, my family's lived in the Cassowary Coast for a long time, and the Darvinesas haven't really been around long. Like, it's only a made-up last name in the last sort of three generations. Yep. And we're all sort of around here, and a few of us down in Victoria, but no, we've been farming in South Johnston for, yeah, over 120 years now. Yep. So, yeah, I've you're a lot longer than me anyway <laughs> yeah well that was some of the first yeah and um yeah so we grow pawpaws primarily pawpaw farm yeah we got you know 90 acres of bananas and sorry to hear about that <laughs> <laughs> that's the easy work mate. you try growing pawpaws yeah that's why they call them pawpaws <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For the poor blokes growing them. <laughs> poor, poor people. Every time I drive past there. <laughs> no, we've got a couple of other tropical fruit orchards and that as well. Heaps of mangosteen we're growing up there and running about 500 head of cattle up there too. So, yeah. got so a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, well, it's shared between me and my two brothers, my dad, my uncle. Yeah. We all sort of split the work up and everyone sort of looks after their own part of the farm. So, no, it works pretty well. Yeah. Well, at least to hear one, one um, family does it right. <laughs> <laughs> me and my brother just blew all fucking day <laughs> no you learn a lot of tolerance i oh, guess eh yeah i think but the thing is we five minutes later we can walk past each other and then just say oh you need you go i'm like okay yeah i oh, know <laughs> if it was anyone else you'd hold that grudge for the rest of your life <laughs> 
<laughs> don't know how it works, but it works. We get bred with a bit of resilience yeah, up here, I think. I think so. <laughs> yeah, you so. bounce back or bounce off somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Bounce off the back end. <laughs> so after, just before you did all this, you, um, you've done a bit of uni and stuff like that as well. Yeah, so I actually uh, went to uni and did uh, architecture and environmental design was what my course was called. And after my first year, I thought, oh, this isn't for me, eh? This architecture stuff, you know, it's working in an office and did some work experience in Hong Kong and places like that in a proper office. And it's really um, pretentious and the people are just assholes, really. Yeah. And I couldn't see myself working in that sort of environment. So I but rang you could see all and... over the top of them. <laughs> yeah. You're about six foot little, five, little aren't Hong you? Kong men. <laughs> <laughs> so I rang my old man in my first year of uni and said, yeah, look, I want to come home. I want to go on the farm. You know, that's what I really want to do. And, and he said, oh, look, mate, just stick it out. You know, finish your degree. Have fun in the Gold Coast. Enjoy your time away from the farm because if you're going to come back, you'll be doing it forever. So enjoy your break now. And I think it's fucking safe to say I made the most of living in the Gold Coast for four years. I ran a muck. No skin on it. <laughs> no, it was good. I really liked um, living down there and had some good mates and that. And, yeah, tried my best to do subjects at uni that I thought would come in handy later on. You know, had things to do with um, the environment and obviously history. love history. So I did heaps of that and indigenous studies and th courses that I thought I would enjoy. Um, and not so much courses that were going to give me like good architecture credentials at the end of it. Yeah. So it was a really good time. I had a great time at uni. Um, but when I came back to the farm, I felt like I didn't really have anything to offer or didn't have anything to bring to the table in terms of like the farm business. You know, I was I didn't do agronomy. A big strong uni. back. <laughs> <laughs> That's what most fathers strong, want. Strong loins. <laughs> big strong back, boy. <laughs> Lift this rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the training started early. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't, didn't think I had anything to offer, so a uh, job came up with the Queensland government through cane growers in town, the, the cane growers organisation, and it was for um, like a reef project. And uh, it just sounded like a really good opportunity for me to learn more about agronomy and those things that I wasn't familiar with, and um, just look at what all the other farms in the area were doing as well, and see if I could pinch any ideas and apply it to my own situation. And yeah, it had a lot of success in that project. It uh, was received really well. And, um, you know, definitely being a local helped in terms of building relationships with growers and allowing them to come onto your farm. Yeah, you still weren't allowed on mine. <laughs> <laughs> Once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good, eh? And, you know, um, it was, it was for, uh, like, the environment, and that's what I really liked about it. It was looking at sustainable farming practices and ways, simple ways that you can, you know, modify your farm to make it a bit more environmentally friendly and, you know, ended up winning an award from the Queensland Farmers Federation for, like, uh, I think it was called a Youth Champion of the Year. Yeah. Of the reef or something. I don't know. It sounded good. <laughs> Fuck, I won it. <laughs> it looked good on the certificate. It's on my mantelpiece. I can't read it. So I had a lot of success in that project and uh, went really well and now I'm back on the farm and, yeah, loving it, eh? And I feel like I haven't come back empty-handed this time. I've got something I can offer to the business and, yep. yeah, so I'm just loving it. Yeah. So you ended up, did you move over to China? You said Hong Kong, but China? I did work experience there, and but, like, you know, I made sure that I did lots of travel when I was at uni and before, even before I went to uni, I had a gap year and made sure I went all overseas and, you know, being a history lover made sure I went to Egypt and Europe yeah. and China and Japan, yeah. and, you know, all those history epicenters. Mm. And yeah, love it. Eh? And really appreciate the chance that I got, you know, to travel because a lot of people don't. They stay in Innisfail or... Oh, you talk about travel now. Everyone's just like, what's that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we got back from Egypt, my wife and I, like just before COVID sort of thing. So yeah, we were lucky to squeeze that in. Yeah. But, um, no, nah, yeah, really, really thankful to have, like, the opportunity to travel and do so all those things. In Egypt, it's at the moment, it, or just when you were over there, it's, it's not very safe? Nah, well, back in 2011, they had, like, the Arab Spring uprising all through the Middle East where the governments were getting overthrown by, you know, ISIS and uh, Islamic State. Those, yep. Yeah. And um, so they overthrew the government and... Um, 
held power for like a year and there was a protest in Cairo, the capital city, of like a million people and um, they were all protesting to get ISIS into power or the Islamic State, sorry, into power and after a year everyone just got sort of sick of it and by 2013 they were completely free of that and back to their um, sort of normal ways. Normal ways. Um, and so it's a big, un big misunderstanding and their people are really struggling with like the lack of tourism because p people think it is unsafe. Yeah. But you go there and like they're going out of their way to make sure that you're safe and having a good time and enjoying yourself. And yeah. Yeah. So it is really safe. And if anyone is keen to go, I recommend because far out, it's the best country I've seen. Yeah. I think most impressive. I imagine like I couldn't even, I can only imagine seeing how big those pyramids are oh huge <laughs> and you know like they were built in a 20 year period and that they, they've crunched the numbers how were they built <laughs> <laughs> ufos <laughs> no they've crunched the numbers and like they would have had to been laying one of those multi-ton stones yeah. every 20 minutes yeah because they they go from six to 15 ton or something don't yeah they, or something yeah like that. that's right and yeah. um they would have had to been laying one every 20 minutes 24 7 you know, all year for 20 years to build it in that time frame. Fuck. So I don't know. There's some there's some sort of techniques <laughs> that they were using that we don't know, and yeah. because that's incredible. And how the internally they they line up the holes and certain holes line up oh, to mate, certain you sun go, and you certain go inside stars. It, you go inside the pyramid, and you immediately feel like people should not be in here. Yeah. Like it's not made for people. You know, and I studied architecture at uni, so I sort of look at things with that yeah. eye. You know, I don't do it intentionally, but it's just what I learnt and yeah. that was my trade. So I look at it with like, all right, so how does this space interact with people and that? And you go inside and it feels like you're in an engine. It feels yeah. like you're inside a machine. Like there's nothing nice about it. No. Nah. Like it's really uncomfortable angles and small spaces and yeah, it just feels like a machine. It doesn't feel like a yeah. like a house or a tomb. <laughs> crazy so yeah so it's probably made for aliens to come and hang oh, out i don't know what it was made for <laughs> but i know that after being inside of it you think all right this definitely is not made for people to be in yeah yeah layer well that's a good little insight isn't it yeah <laughs> you get your money's worth yeah, you got yeah, taz yarns here we go taz yarns <laughs> fuck as a taz don't worry about that show we're getting our money's worth now <laughs> So after, so you came back. Yeah, and, um, and got straight into work, back yeah. on the farm. And yeah, and that, I've, at the moment, I'm volunteering at like the local sugar museum. Yeah. And it's just put me in touch with so many great resources and reading materials. And I'm just going back and reading back on all of those stories that, you know, we were told as kids about the early days. And there's a lot of detail in there but it really like reminds you that these are just stories written by one person and mm. the actual events vary depending on who's telling the story in the books but no it's been really good to like have that exposure to those um those stories yeah now that i've decided that i'm going to live here forever <laughs> <laughs> well uh, the one that comes to mind with me is just the story of uh um bly and the bounty Captain and bly, that. yeah, yeah. and just the accounts, how detailed all that was, just from a historian grabbing every different angle and yeah, yeah, and reconstructing get, it. reconstructing it all back together, and it was put together so well that book, or yeah. well, I audio booked it because I don't fucking read. <laughs> <laughs> but if I, I honestly, anyone wants to listen to a good story about history, that one there, Mutiny on the Bounty, is, yeah. is fucking awesome. So yeah. that, that that's actually made me look more into history now, just from yeah. And I like the history of this area because half of the stuff that happened happened along our coastline as That's well. That's right, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, like back in those days, I guess to kind of set the scene, um, it was sort of like the Wild West of America. You know, you had like the Aboriginals, they're sort of like the Indians and it was the final frontier. Yeah. The northernmost town was Cardwell and it was sort of like an outpost and everything north of there was nothing, just Aboriginals and dense scrub. Yeah. And um, like those, those Aboriginals were known as being like incredibly um, like hostile. Yeah, like they were not friendly to people. And actually, like there's heaps of accounts of cannibalism and things like that in the tribes up here. So it was sort of the last place you wanted to be. Yeah. If you were living in like Brisbane or Sydney, like there was no reason to want to 
come here. Yeah. There's just like tropical disease, dense jungle after being smashed from cyclones. Like the undergrowth here is yeah, so thick. So thick. And so, because there's so much rain, it's also so green and luscious. Everything just grows like. Yeah, gnarly. but there's also so much rain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did we mention the rains here? <laughs> So really, there was no As you reason. found out this year when you moved back to the farm. <laughs> yeah, so basically, it was like the Wild West mixed with like some sort of hectic jungle scenario mixed with like parts of the Caribbean. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, because you've, you've told me a few of these stories and I was just fucking blown away by these ones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're talking about like big timber ships with like 11, 10 or 11 sails, like a brig. The type of ship has like yeah, 10 yeah. or 11 sails on it. They're massive. They're proper pirate ships. Yeah. And they were coming up and down the coast regularly. Yeah. So, to, so we'll start off with the... All right. We'll start off with Murdering Point. Oh, How the story old? of the Mariah? Yeah, because um, Murdering Point, as it, as the name of it happens... Yeah, at <laughs> Curramine Beach. Yeah, was a lot of murdering happened there. So, <laughs> so yeah, there's a, there's a big story to that the yeah. story of the mariah i think you were going to share the book with me yeah well i've loaned it to multiple people and i've <laughs> lost track of it <laughs> if you're listening and you've got my book i want to back you bastard <laughs> oh well i don't have to you can just tell me about it now <laughs> yeah, yeah here's my it, so. audio book right here <laughs> it began in the beginning <laughs> <laughs> no i guess like uh, a big important part of it as well is to sort of understand like the aboriginals and what they were like here as well because you know the early explorers they've given reports on what they were like but there's no written records by them of what they were doing so we've got to look at it through the lens of like an early explorer because yeah. they were the people that wrote it down that's yeah. the information we have and basically if you were to get in like a long boat or a whaling boat and and float up the the johnson river You'd see like dense jungle on both sides and the banks of the river would be lined with hundreds, if not thousands, of dugout canoes, bamboo rafts, um, banana trunk rafts all tied together, hundreds of them. Yeah. And these were like seagoing people. They were everywhere. Yeah. They used to go out to the islands, hunt turtles, dugongs. And they were going up and down the river transporting goods, moving from camp to camp. There was, if you think there's plenty of boats on the water now, you should have seen it back then. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're sailing up the coast, you might see at night time, like little fires dotting the coastline of these people camping on the beaches. And they'd build these fires on the beach and dig holes in the sand and sleep in the warmth yeah. of where the daylight had been shining on the sand and heating it up. They'd dig down to it into these burrows out of the wind and sleep in them. Yeah. But you'd see all their fires lining the beach and you might see a couple of sails or something off in the distance because there was like a flotilla of vessels on the water. And they were all here... Not for, like, exploration, but to sort of live and do their business outside of where there was, like, a police presence. Of a law. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, they were doing, like, beach de mer and looking for guano. So, the sea, sea slugs? The sea beach slugs. De mer, yeah. yeah. And uh, guano, which is, like, seabird and batshit. Yeah. Yeah. So, they would bag that and sell it as, like, an artificial fertilizer back then. This is like the 1800s, we're talking yeah. mid-1800s. Um, so they'd bag up this guano and sell it as fertiliser. And the sea slugs, they'd build like a hut on the island. And there was a big one at Dunk Island. There was a big one on Franklin Island. And they would go out at low tide, collect all the sea slugs, and then take the guts out of them and like smoke them in these little smokehouses on the islands, basically. Yeah. And those jobs shoveling shit into bags and taking the intestines out of sea slugs are shit jobs. <laughs> if you think picking up rocks is bad, <laughs> you want to do that all day. <laughs> Shuffle bird shit. <laughs> so naturally, no white people wanted to go up there and do it, so they'd steal, you know, kidnap people from other places in Australia or the Solomon Islands, Fiji, like those South Pacific Islands, and they'd bring them here to work and do those jobs, and they were getting really good money for it. Yep. But they weren't paying any wages or anything like that either. Yep, so they used them as slaves. Yeah, so much. there was hundreds of boats up here working doing that. And, um, yeah, all of them were doing it sort of outside the law. But everyone just sort of also seemed to turn a blind eye to it 
because it was contributing to the Australian economy up here, and obviously that's how things get started. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty full on. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you another, like, you know, we, we think of us ourselves as the first board riders. <laughs> We're not, eh? They used what? to. They used to. <laughs> The Aboriginals, well, it wasn't as fun, I don't think, but they used to float across the Johnson River on their shields, on their timber shields. They'd yeah. load up stuff on it, you know, like a baby or some fruit or something, and yeah. you'd swim across the river with it like a boogie board. Boogie board. Yeah. <laughs> so they were doing it first, mate. Oh, beat us. <laughs> so have to get them a shirt. <laughs> and there was crocodiles too. Still, yeah, because it... Of course. Yeah, because it would have been back then because it wasn't really a, a culling... Where we are now with crocodiles, I was talking to one of the guys from, like, the Department of Environment and Science, the yep. department, <laughs> and um, he was telling me where we're at now in the Johnson River with crocodiles is we're at the same mass as it was pre-European. Yeah. But the numbers of crocodiles that we have are far greater. They're all just smaller animals. Yeah. You know, but if you weighed them all, they'd be the same yeah. as what it was pre European. They just had bigger ones with larger yeah. territories. Yeah. So that, yeah, the more they are, the more they push out. Yeah. So, yeah. And the, the management style that we have for crocodiles at the moment here is like, you know, you get a big problem crocodile and you remove it. But what you're doing is removing that big crocodile with a big territory territory. (laughs) and all the little ones move in and fight over it and you know the most aggressive crocodiles are those breeding females and Mm. and uh, males fighting over territory yeah and that's what you're left with so it's better off having one big one than five smaller ones fighting over a spot (laughs) yeah essentially so we've got actually more crocodiles in the river now than we've ever ever had yeah just because of that reason. I honestly can say that. I used to ski in this river up and down it, and I, I own a farm on it, and in the past four, 10 years, I wouldn't put my foot in the fucking river. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Especially I've been in the boat past your farm. We pick them up on the sounder, eh? Yeah. Big, big monsters. <laughs> oh, it's just, oh. But it's not like they weren't here. They were here. There was yeah. just fewer of them, and they were just bigger. Yeah, they are just more territorial, and they, they pretty much... Nature sorted it out. Yeah, that's well, right. At the moment, nature's not sorting it out. Where we're still playing with nature. No, we stuck our foot in it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's got us. <laughs> so getting back to the Mariah. Yeah. So, so essentially, like all the, the all the maps and everything were just people coming back to Cardwell that were out doing beach to mare and all of that. That stopped in for provisions and just update maps, and they all shared that information together. So all the information that existed was from that. Yeah. But um, you also had these bigger vessels uh, like the Mar- like the um, Mariah that was going upstream, going up past the coast up to like Papua New Guinea. So the Mariah was one of these big vessels. They were going up to Papua New Guinea to look for gold and set up like sort of a settlement. I don't know. They had like a, a commission to go and do something in Papua yeah. New Guinea and find gold because there yeah. was gold up there. It's like how Bly did the with the... Um the breadfruit tree sort of yeah thing. that's right same thing they can get commissioned a boat and a crew and go find them yeah that's it yeah. so they were going looking for gold these people that heard it was up there so they were going up to mine it and set up a settlement yeah and um so they sort of had a rough time getting started the mariah like they left sydney they had 70 people there was too much they left the captain behind accidentally or <laughs> I don't know, maybe he just didn't want to change his mind. But anyway, they left Sydney without him. So there's 70 people on this boat. And it wasn't a very good boat, but it was big yeah. and cheap. So, <laughs> so the, the people funding it... Cheap and nasty. Just said, let's go. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was reports of, like, people being able to stick their knives in the mast up to the handle. <laughs> because it was just so rotten. Rotten and shit. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't a very good boat. And I'm surprised they made it this far from Sydney. Yeah. They ran into a bit of strife off um, Morton Bay, I think, but they got all that repaired. Kept coming up the coast and just off uh, Hinchinbrook Island, they um, hit Bramble Reef. Yeah. Have you been there? Bramble no, Reef? No, not Bramble, no. It's like the closest one to Hinchinbrook Island. Is it? Yeah, I know Otter. That's, it wouldn't be far from there then. It's close to Orpheus. Yep. And, yeah, some of those other little islands. Yep. But, um, yeah... Um, so it was like tacking up essentially like what the, the shipping lane is now. Yeah. It was left to right, left to right, and then bus hit this hit this reef, hit it once, kept going, and then hit it again, and it just started to sink. Eh? It was like 3 a.m. that it happened. 
so pretty dark yeah. and everyone sort of got up like oh shit what was that did we just hit something they'd seen reefs going past like in quick succession the whole time they'd been going up the coast yeah but um yeah they they hit this one and they all came clamoring out of their cabins and whatever it's like early in the morning and when they got onto deck they could see the guy who had like self-appointed himself as a new captain <laughs> after they left the other one behind and him and five of his mates were getting into this big whaling boat yeah they were lowering it off the side of the mariah <laughs> waking anyone no nah. <laughs> and they said all right we're gonna go get help we'll see you later and it was a boat that could fit 30 people yeah out of the 70 that were on board and it was the captain and five of his mates and they got in and they took off and you know some people said like in some reports of the incident that shots were fired at them as they were <laughs> trying to go back to the and mainland <laughs> yeah. so, and that left the ship with two two boats two smaller boats that yeah. were called a long boat that could um oh and their names were the flying fish and the coquette player and um those <laughs> two two uh spots at the mouth of north johnson and south uh, the Johnston River. Yeah, the north yeah. north one is the Flying Fish Point and the yeah. other one's Coquette Point. So yeah. these two long boats, the Coquette and the Flying Fish, they could fit 28 people on them combined <laughs> for the 65 people left on the boat. <laughs> 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 so anyway, everyone just got to work making, making rafts and whatever they could just to get back to land. But, you know, it's 70 people on a boat and there's all different sorts of people. So everyone's yeah. got a different approach to what do you do if your ship's going down? <laughs> What would you do, Taz? What's the first thing you grab? <laughs> Bit of timber. <laughs> E-perb. <laughs> Why didn't I grab the e <laughs> One lad was grabbing all the guns. Someone else got into the rum. Hey. He was trying to finish it off before it sunk. <laughs> you know, everyone's got different priorities in a situation like that at 3 a.m. <laughs> oh, you, you think for real? Like, <laughs> you feel like, especially the reef. The reef's out off there the one that hits probably 20k out to yeah. sea so i don't think grabbing rum's a smart thing to do <laughs> nah but there's, there's other people working on a solution so he saw his opportunity <laughs> and grabbed it i think <laughs> but anyway they managed to get together a couple of rafts one of them sunk after they tried to load 30 people onto it yeah. so they had to build a couple of smaller ones and eventually they ended up fitting almost everyone on on these rafts and in these two boats the two boats were completely packed um, and they detached from the ship and left and the rafts managed to get a few more people on them and um, they sort of detached from the ship as well as it was going down and um, like up in the up in the masts and all the rigging there was nine blokes left on the ship and they they sort of went down with it yeah so maybe one of them was the one that got on the rums i think <laughs> i think i would too <laughs> if it hit the reef it would probably be in about what 10 meters or something or well, none of them could swim, eh, back then. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do? Well, maybe a couple of them could, yeah. but it wasn't a thing you did. Yeah. You know, you don't go swimming out at the reef. <laughs> especially, especially that far out. Especially if you're from Sydney. They've probably never Cold seen that water. much water in their life. <laughs> so anyway, the two main ship, the two main big boats, well, what were they? Long, long, long boats. boats. yeah. They made it back to... Um, they made it to Hinchinbrook and they sort of stopped on the beach there and camped for like five days because it was pissing down rain. It was like a big full-on gale yeah. that they were in and it was like that for five days, which is not uncommon up here. Mm. So they were just sitting in the be on the beach, not looking for food, getting real hungry. They might have caught a couple of fish or whatever, but they just rode out the rain and then they got back in their longboats and went around the, south, the south, southern side of um, Hinchinbrook Island and then back up to yeah. Cardwell. Uh, when they got back to, when they got to Cardwell they sort of raised the alarm so there was 28 people straight up survived which is pretty good out of 70 <laughs> and they made it to town and they said look there's others you know um, the captain he left on a real big boat with five of his mates and he's out there somewhere if, he has, if he's not back here um, but not only that there's two rafts that have made it they drifted away from the boat as well and they were all going sort of north yeah um, so they gathered a sort of a bit of a search party together and um, the the chief police inspector, or was he sub-inspector at the time in Cardwell, was Robert Johnson. Yep. And he was like, how old was he, 28 or something at the time? And he just, it was his first year of being a policeman in, in Cardwell. Uh, we might talk about him a little bit later because he's a bit of a loose unit too. Oh, you've got a motel named after him. <laughs> yeah, he's got a river named after <laughs> a river. him. <laughs> 
the Johnston. <laughs> anyway, Robert Johnson was your man, so he went off looking for um, the big boat that the captain took. Um, oh, and uh, so he started going. He went around the rip, the wreck of the Mariah, and there was no survivors there. He couldn't see any bodies or anything. Uh, he went up shore, and he couldn't see any raft or any boat or nothing like that. So he uh, went back to Cardwell, and when he got back to Cardwell, he found out that while he was gone, um, there was these two naked blokes that come out of the scrub and made their way back to town. And they had real bad, like Aboriginal sword wounds which yep. I think that would be like broken arms, probably split the skin. <laughs> they're not made of metal. They're like a big bit of wood, basically. <laughs> so these lads have been hit with these Aboriginal swords and um, they made it back just a, barely alive and said the captain and the others have been killed. Um, the boats, we know where the boat is. We can take you to it. So they went and uh, they left, went up the coast, went to the wreck of the boat and uh, 250 Aboriginals came out onto the beach and tried to like start a bit of a war with them. Yeah. And um, they fired shots at some of those Aboriginals, and um, yeah, that was that was at um, Tam O'Shanter Point. Yeah. So they massacred like a shitload of people there. Actually, killed a heap of them. Just sort of, I guess, self-defense. But yeah, hard to say. <laughs> oh. 120 blokes with spears and swords and shields running at you is probably pretty scary. So they discharged a couple of rounds into the mob and took off with the big boat yeah so they retrieved the big boat and then they thought oh god what's happened to these guys on the raft like if this is the sort of trouble we've run into here far out so they went looking for the rest of the survivors uh one boat landed at Caramine beach that's murdering point one yep. of the rafts sorry and um Caramine beach murdering point the raft uh drifted there and um those people were all eaten. Yeah. They didn't make it. Not one of them made it. They were all eaten on that raft. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of kilometres up. The Wild West. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was full on. And, <laughs> you know, like I'm not, the Aboriginal people, they didn't eat people all the time. Like they practiced cannibalism in extreme circumstances or yep. maybe after battle or something like that. They sort of believed that the person Taking you ate, you take on their, like their uh, attributes and their courage or whatever. Yeah. But it wasn't something they did all the time. It was just, Something they did yeah. out of necessity. Well, and also, it's, it's, they've probably hardly never seen these people before, and they're, they're rocking up on your shore. It's like an alien coming, yeah, out of the sky. And it was well known that these Aboriginals around here were like the most dangerous. Yeah, everyone sort of knew that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so yeah, you think like it, like every, humans are just shit people. You, you, something you fear, you want to kill. Yeah. Instead of trying to work it out. Yeah, <laughs> so well. that's 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 human nature through the whole fucking lifespan of everything. It's like we're, we're bred to kill each other. That's right. <laughs> it's pretty full on, especially back then when it's like, yeah, there wasn't a steady supply of food coming in all the time. You sort of took what you could when you yeah. can, you know what I mean? Well, because you said, I remember talking to you about some was it was it drought? There was a drought around that time or? Yeah, well, there could have been. Like, that's one of the things. Like, if there were short food supply around they would practice cannibalism and if they couldn't like eat someone from another tribe they'd eat one of their own yeah and there's reports of that happening yeah by some of the early explorers here archibald meston in particular mentioned it when he was traveling with a group of aboriginals and they ate one of the female tribe members yeah it was only the adult men who could practice cannibalism yeah no one else could so there's all rules around it yeah it wasn't just like a random yeah. thing. They just, oh, let's just eat this bloke. It was like a bit of a, yeah, there's law around yeah. it. Anyway, the last raft landed at um, Ella Bay. Yep. And the guys there, like, they, they ran into an Aboriginal tribe and thought, oh, shit, here we go. But the Aboriginals sort of just left them. They just walked away. So the ones that landed up at Ella Bay, like, that eventually... You know, they got hungry, so they followed these Aboriginals and followed them all the way back to where Innisfail is today. Yeah. Just from camp to camp, living off supplies, until eventually they were rescued. So they saw a ship sailing past, flagged it down, and, yeah, got taken back to Cardwell. <laughs> <laughs> so out of all of those, the, the lesson is don't be a, don't be a cunt. Yeah. <laughs> if your ship's going down, don't be the guy that rounds up a couple of his mates and jumps in the biggest <laughs> boat. <laughs> Oh, so, so when uh, was it? 
did word get back to Brisbane or something? Then they sent up a crew to sort out the murdering point? Not really. They sort of just left it up to Robert Johnson to sort it out. And he was the man. Like, he was 28 at the time. And that's probably old for people that were living around here. Yeah, (laughs) probably would be. It's like, look, he's an elder. (laughs) But I can tell you some information about him, I guess. Robert Johnson, because he's a bit of a bit of a rogue sort of lad. His nickname was uh, yeah, two nicknames: Black Johnson, because yeah. he had a, like a mad tan from being like obviously a, an explorer, yeah. <laughs> and Snake Johnson because he was just like a weird snake guy. <laughs> one of those guys, everyone knows one that collects snakes, <laughs> and he had a habit of like putting them in his shirts and like get warm and sleepy, and then like bringing them out and scaring kids with them and stuff. He was a bit of a yeah. <laughs> He was a young fella yeah. at the time. <laughs> young, old fella. <laughs> but he was really passionate about, uh, like, Aboriginal culture and uh, he led, like, the group of um, native mounted police officers, basically, and they assisted him with, like, his search looking for the survivors of the Mariah and things like that. So he was, like, really friendly with the Aboriginals, but, like, yeah, he wasn't... Um, wasn't opposed to following some of their rules in terms of punishment and yeah. Yeah, corporal punishment. Yeah, flogging with the stick. Murdering point, the legs. murdering point is called that because, you know, they murdered the white people that arrived on the raft. Yeah. But he massacred heaps of them. Yeah. You know, he well, had the mounted police, the Aboriginal guys he was with, so he could go to the tribe and say, all right, open your dilly bag. What's that? Oh, it's a jacket. All right. It could be anyone's jacket, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple of sailors and stuff going past all the time. They could have traded it. Let me look inside the collar. Oh, fucking Alan Johnson. He was a person that was on the Mariah. So you've obviously taken his jacket. And what's that? Oh, it's a kidney in your dilly bag. <laughs> so I'm just going to put two and two together and use are all fucked. Oh, no. <laughs> so <laughs> Popped them. Yeah, just popped them. And that's, what, that's just the way it was back then. Yeah. The Wild West. The Wild West. So he was pretty... He was a pretty colourful character, but he was, um, you know, riding back to the Korea Mail or what was called, like, the Queenslander back then regularly and, you know, updating them on what was going on, what life was like up here. And um, eventually, sort of 19 or 17 years after the shipwreck of the Mariah, this guy called Archibald Meston, he came up here. And he was a journalist, and he was writing letters back to the Korea Mail as well. So, naturally, he became a sort of a big rival for Robert Johnson. Yeah. And um, he was sort of like a, a a Sydney toff, like a rich guy. Well, had had money, had like a team of people in his exhibition yep. expedition, and they led. He led his ex- expedition to the top of Bellenden Kerr and Mount Sophia and um, Gordon Vale and places yep. like that, and claimed all these glories, but. The other guys that were up here at the time just looked at him like he was some sort of wanker just trying to steal their thunder. He was a tourist. <laughs> City snob. And he actually um, like was the first person to describe the mangosteen. Yep. So it's it was named after him initially, the mangosteen. <laughs> the Mestonia or something it's called. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> but he was a pretty colourful guy as well. And he was really passionate about Indigenous culture. Yep. And he recorded a lot of the indigenous language and in his journals which i've actually gone to the state library in brisbane and looked through his his journals yep he wrote down like place names and everything of all around this area like oh he'd have like bartle frere equals churuchillum yeah innisfail equals chowai yeah so like he had all of these like descriptions for the native words for places and animals and things so he and he recorded that extensively but then, you know, it's a double-edged sword with all these blokes back in those days. He ended up rounding up a few of these Aboriginals and creating, like, a travelling circus, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was his passion. It was, like, showing off. He called it, like, the Wild Australia Show. Yeah. And he paraded them through, like, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne and showed, like, people the Aboriginal customs and they were all in costume and stuff. And yeah. by the time they got to Melbourne, it sort of disbanded, and it, which was pretty sad for the Aboriginal people that were in that yeah. group. They were just disbanded on the other end of the planet, essentially. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Just <laughs> had to learn to live down there. They wouldn't even know half of the... Nah, they like, wouldn't. And, and not only that, but climate. you're on someone else, else's Near country. Land. Yeah, so they don't Which like is a you. big no-no. Yeah. Like, you cannot do that. Mm. And they were dragged there and disbanded there. So that was pretty sad. But he was essentially trying to be, like, a champion for Indigenous people. 
Uh, yeah, obviously back then it was properly. just a bit different. <laughs> different well, yeah. time. <laughs> it's just the same as what they do with, with nature and trying to bring something. Let's find this flower and we'll take it home. It's beautiful. And all of a sudden the whole bloody yeah. <laughs> ecosystem's got this shitty lantana or something through it. <laughs> African like, tulip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my friend. Or like a polar bear in like Brisbane Zoo or something. Yeah. You know, it's just, shouldn't be there. <laughs> Probably sad about it. Yeah. But, um, we got riverbanks that one of... Um, float like get washed away and i'm like if we plant african tulips they grow that quick they're not going to get washed away anymore yeah. <laughs> but we do them no, they've a got a big heap of shit african tulips everywhere they got a real shallow root system yeah, so, they don't so really hold nah. that well yeah like singapore daisy like <laughs> that'll hold a bank together but it's shallow roots yeah, eh? so big. it'll undercut and wash away yeah. but um yeah who else do we have oh christy palmerston yep he's a character Yep, so, so the Palmerston, Palmerston Highway National Park, yeah, pa- yeah Palmerston Highway, all well, of now that. It's we're we're ruining, ruining, what is it? <laughs> we're ruining, yeah. We've <laughs> <laughs> like ten O's in it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he was when he was like twenty years old. He was actually his dad is um the tenth Marquis of Sarzano, which is like this province in Italy. Yeah. So from a wealthy sort of family, but at, when he was 20, he sort of said, oh, stuff it. I'm going to go and muster cattle in central Queensland. I don't want to be a part of, you know, Brisbane life. So he went off and did that. And um, one day just decided, fuck it, sold his saddle and took off on the horse with a bit of money that he had and just rode off into the sunset. Yeah. And obviously they looked for him, found him, and he got charged with, um, like, thievery, stealing a horse, and went to jail in Brisbane for two years. And after that, they had, like, a gold rush up in the Palmer, up in Cooktown. So he went up there, and he went looking for gold, and he was, like, a real bad character (laughs) on Dead Set. He would, um, like, just start wars with Aboriginal tribes, kidnap people, force him to join like this little militant army that he created yeah. called like palmerston's black army <laughs> and he would just run rampant across the countryside looting pillaging creating just general mischief yeah killing people and yeah uh the chinese like he was killing a lot of chinese but again like the government sort of and the authorities up there sort of turned a blind eye to it because back then it was all about white australia policy yeah. So by him going and like killing these Aboriginals and killing these Chinese miners, they're sort of his sort of you know doing Think, something. Thinks he's cl- cleaning up. The they land. weren't. They weren't upset about it. I'll put it that way. Yeah. They sort of just turned a blind eye to it. Yeah. But naturally, given like his criminal past and sort of the devious things he was doing, it would catch up with him. <laughs> well, he became like really well known as a pathfinder, like a bloke that could cut a track. Yep. You know what I mean. Because he was just avoiding any sort of populated areas like Cardwall and eventually Cairns later on had the settlement there. So he was cutting tracks down here to Innisfail, cutting tracks to what would be the location of Port Douglas. He was the one that cut the track there and started that settlement. Yep. Cut the track down the Palmerston to here through the Tablelands. So he was basically the closest thing we have probably to an outlaw. Yep. He was trying to live his life outside the law. Yeah. And he would brag about you know, massacring hundreds of Aboriginals mm. in this area. Mamu people, he would, yeah. Yeah. He was a real bastard. So how did, how did his fucking name get get kept on, on, the, on the sign here for so long? It only got taken off like 10 years ago or what, 20 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> yeah. And the, the Palmerston Highway is still named after yeah. him, you know, and that's where he would have killed all those people. Yeah. But um, he was saying back then, like, you could walk two horses abreast of where the Palmerston Highway is today. Yeah. The Aboriginals just created, like, these super highways through the dense tropical rainforest where people could move from one camp to another really quickly. And, um, yeah, you could walk two horses side by side down these tracks. They were yep. that big. So they pretty much did it all for him. Yeah. <laughs> Cut his track for <laughs> he him. He said, oh, yeah, I'm a pathfinder. <laughs> I'll find this one <laughs> and I'll follow it. Because <laughs> especially where Crawford's lookout, um, I went up with Kevin Mondov, had him on this pod on... Yarns with Az and Taz, actually. I'll, I'll get him back on. Him and uh, you would be perfect together because he knows all about the Palmerston National Park and all that and all oh, the names cool. of the, the rivers and where they meet yeah. and the different areas and all that sort of thing. Oh, that'd be, he'd yeah. be interesting to talk to. Yeah, so he's all he's 
all the part of the memu crew so he, yeah, yeah. he's all up and he knows all the land stuff welcome to country all the, all the what to do and say up there and all that sort of stuff i love talking to those guys hey yeah. like when i was working in that reef project for the government like i spent a lot of time with those blokes and you know they'd be at sites we were digging up looking they were looking for axe heads and stuff they were there in case one was found but i always made a point of talking to them about oh you know like what's going on up in the palmas and like what's yeah. going on up in wirinur and yeah. can you tell me anything and they'll <laughs> tell you hey they're happy to tell you and like there's massive caves with huge like cave paintings of giant tree frogs and things like that up yeah. there there's like a buttress root of a tree that goes out like 20 meters or something ridiculous and it's covered in dendroglyphs like tree carvings yeah this whole big wall of them and there's um, shield trees where shields have been cut out from the trees and yeah. all that they know where all of them are they've got them gps located yeah and they go up there all the time just checking on them making sure that no one's damaged them or anything yeah been there I know the flame trees are very secret men's business tree. Yeah. That way. Well, you know, like as a kid, when I'm working in the paddock and I'm finding axe heads and things, and I always wanted to be like an archaeologist. Yeah. That was my dream. <laughs> I wanted to be an archaeologist. I wanted to do like like time team shit. I wanted to be digging up like the ruins of ancient buildings and stuff. Yeah. But I started thinking like, all right, well, how can I do that here? How can I do that in this file? And I thought, oh, that's the best way you could do it is find a flame tree and dig around the base of it and see what's there because by rights they were burying a lot of stuff there mm. you know around, around flame trees they were like yeah. signal trees and yeah, the, they were burying their dead so surely if you went and dug around a few of those you'd find some really impressive artifacts especially the old old trees yeah, yeah. that's what they call the secret men's business trees and that's where they buried all the blokes <laughs> and stuff like that yeah. well all this stuff it was only in the 1800s like 150 years ago mm. it's not that <laughs> it's not that long ago <laughs> i was thinking about that today i was actually looking down at the river and i'm like wouldn't have been long ago where aboriginals would have been standing right where i'm standing yeah exactly because like, <laughs> gundi bend yeah that uh good that gundi means bend in the river yeah yeah and that's where my farm is is right on that bend i told you about like that story about um robert johnson going around the gundi bend eh? oh something about the biggest bloke you've ever yeah. seen or something yeah so the aboriginals in this area there's two types basically fresh water and salt water the saltwater guys were massive. They were like sort of not as dark, slightly bronzed skins described as, and just big, yep. big buff guys, basically. And in the rainforest, that's where you sort of had your smaller like pygmies. And some of them are pygmies. Like there's photos of some of the early explorers coming here and they're small people. Yeah. Real small. And they were in the rainforest. They were freshwater tribes. Yeah, I can see the descendants in Innisfail now. There's the big and the small people. Yeah, 100%. Because, yeah. yeah, it wasn't that long ago. A couple mm. of generations ago, really. You yep. can still see it. Mm. But um, so Robert Johnson was going up that river flat, Gundy Bend, where the big <laughs> saltwater people are. Yeah. And... Um, he said that on the banks of the river were all of these lads, like a massive army of Aboriginals, basically waving their shields and spears and yelling out at them while they're on their boat, making their way up the river. And he said the finest specimen of human man that he'd ever seen yep. jumped in the river and started swimming for their boat. You know, sh shield and spear still in hand, making his way across the water to their boat. And just when he was about 20 metres away from the boat, bang. <laughs> Croc got him. <laughs> he went bang and pulled his headphones out. <laughs> Smacked him. Is it playing up still? No, it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. And um, yeah, so basically that's Robert Johnson's version yeah. <laughs> of what happened. <laughs> crocodile got him. Yeah, yeah, right. You probably just pulled your yeah, rifle probably, out and yeah. popped him. <laughs> the bang wasn't a bloody crocodile. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was just at your farm. Yeah. That would have been standing on the banks of the river where your farm is. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much history. <laughs> anyway, so that was him. Who else is there? Was Did you say the mouth of the harbour was like a, a pub, a pirate's pub or something? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, all the blackbirders, they called them, they were the people that um, did blackbirding, like kidnapping people from the Solomon Islands and places like that and bringing them here to work. First as like beach de mer fishermen and... Um, getting the guano but eventually later on for sugarcane farming and stuff as well they were working cutting the cane yeah um so they built a pub at um, marillion harbour and um the marillion harbour actually 
that was like first sort of explored by what was his name captain moresby captain moresby because it's the moresby river it's the moresby river <laughs> and um captain moresby he was like a bit of a a renegade he got given the task of um like getting a crew getting on this old like paddle boat steamer which was pretty quick compared to like the old sailing ships yeah making his way up here and establishing sort of settlement it was very vague established settlement in like the cape <laughs> so he got to Cardwell and he said all right boys from here on out there's nothing but jungle and hostile natives <laughs> tropical diseases <laughs> let's go who's with me and they said frig you mate i'm staying here <laughs> under this coconut tree <laughs> in Cardwell <laughs> so essentially like his crew just said no nah, we, we don't want to do that we don't want to go up there that sounds dangerous and shit yeah. we'd rather stay around here so he started just doing his own thing and he'd take this steamer and chase down the blackbirders basically so he'd see a ship and say, oh, that looks like a blackbirder. Let's go. And they just start chasing this ship across the ocean, <laughs> all off the front of like uh, Marillion Harbour, basically, yeah. around the Bernards and shit, <laughs> around Dunk Island where the beach to Merville's. Yeah. And um, so he was chasing these ships everywhere and like reprimanding the blackbirders, saying like, oh, you're a, fucking, you're a bastard. I'm <laughs> going to dob you in or something. They couldn't really get in trouble for it, but yeah. he was like, just trying to prove a point, to, I think. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he was pretty. He was half mad. I think everyone that was up here was half mad. There was no. What <laughs> the sounds of it? Like you got to be going past Cardwell. It's like fucking hell. Anyway, so he he saw a ship. Like one day they spotted these sails, and they the ship didn't look like it was like behaving normally. You know what I mean? It wasn't travelling. It was just yep. sort of sitting. And so he thought, "Yep, we're on, boys. We got some." blackbirders let's go get them so they get all ready they take off chase this boat down it's not moving it's getting close real quick they pull up beside it the sails are all like saggy and like, like waterlogged they look yep. they just weren't being used and um they look on the deck and it's just like a bloodbath you know there's blood everywhere like bits of arms and legs all over the deck and they're thinking, what the? And then amongst like the dead bodies, there's like alive people, living people. And so they get on board and they think, what the fuck? And it's, um, they got the story out of one of the survivors, but it was actually like a blackbirder. And they were bringing them from Fiji down here to work. And um, the captain sort of uh, had a disagreement with the like black people on the, on the boat. Yep. Um, and he said, you know, there's not enough rations, blah, blah, blah. They started cooking their own rice on the, on the deck. He grabbed the rice and threw it overboard. And one of them picked him up and threw him overboard. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was on. Yeah. Whatever you could grab, tomahawk, knife, whatever, yeah. let's go. They took over the ship, these like Solomon Islands, oh, Fijians. Yeah. These Fijians took the ship, killed all the crew, killed the cook. Captain was overboard. We've got it. We've done Didn't it. We're free. Sail. <laughs> they don't know how to sail this frigging boat. So they, so they were just left drifting yeah. for ages and ages. And they, like, yeah, obviously there would have been some pretty grisly stories come out of oh. that. But, <laughs> but um, when Captain Moresby pulled up at the ship, you know, he had the tough job of separating the living from the dead oh. and <laughs> getting the story straight of what actually happened. And then what do you do with those Fijians? Hey. You know what I mean? It's sort of that were, that were taken yeah already and so. now they're miles away from home they so yeah he, he was like dead against blackbirding and it's sort of ironic that the um moresby river which is named after him yeah was where the blackbirders inn was <laughs> that was the harbor they were pulling into yep. <laughs> and unloading their passengers to work in the sugar fields you know years later but yep. it's one of those sort of ironic yeah. things <laughs> And I guess the last person we could kind of talk about was um, Heinrich Schuh, which is my great, Shoe great, Creek. great, 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 great grandfather. He's got a farm on Shoe Creek, is? That's right, yeah. yeah. So he, he was up the Palmer as well, looking for gold. He was up there with um, like Christy Palmerston and all of those guys. They were looking for gold up there and it was just pretty full on, eh? Like tough conditions, heaps of diseases breaking out all the time. You know, not, not that much gold, heaps of people. And he said, oh, bugger this, I'm, I'm going to go to Daintree and start looking for red cedar. Yep. So he moved back to Cooktown and started working, like going down into the Daintree and getting red cedar. 
and he heard word that there was like a large amount of red cedar down in the Innisfail area. And Innisfail this time was not established at all. It was still not a... The, Cardwell was the closest town. Yep. And then there was maybe Cairns. So there was nothing here, but there was word that there was massive amounts of this red cedar. So he decided to come down uh, chasing it. And he cut a track from Mulgrave, like Cairns area, down to here. Yep. Um, down to Flying Fish Point. He sort of set up his base at Flying Fish Point, and he started cutting tracks everywhere and getting heaps of timber. And he was actually the first person to hold freehold land in Innisfail. He bought a large portion of land on the South Johnson um, with another German fellow that he was mates with, and they named it Stockton. Yep. And that's basically where Wangan is today. Yep. And so that was the first. There's Stockton Road there. There's Stockton Road. Yeah. Shoe Creek, Shoe Bridge. Yep. <laughs> in town, there's Shoe Street. Yep. He was the first guy to live here, basically. There was other, like, people that have explored and, like, sort of discovered it and named it Geraldton. But there was nothing here. Yep. So he was the first person to come and actually buy land and start farming. He was growing corn. And it's um, <laughs> really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> but lots of lots of timber to be found. Yep. Um, so he was doing that. And, you know, there's all sorts of stories in our family of what he was like as a person. And <laughs> Crazy like the rest of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big beard. Apparently he could lift up a, a shovel with a bloke standing on the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. How strong he was. <laughs> There's oh, probably yeah. a small bloke. Yeah, back in those days, we weren't fed <laughs> well, that That was well. what they reckon. He could lift a shovel with someone standing on the end of the shovel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's some Germans, but they're built differently, eh? Yeah. <laughs> well, he was pretty big by all accounts, and the other German he was with was like the other type of German, the short, stocky, angry fella. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the Stars Wars. <laughs> but he, he, he cut the first track from um, Cairns. He cut a track from Pynchon Hills down to Marillion Harbour. Yeah. He cut a track from Innisfail to Cardwell. And if you go to the Innisfail Cemetery, like across the road, there's like where the fruit stalls are. Yeah. There's like a big rock. Plaque, yeah, yeah. That big rock there is the plaque that says the start of the track. And there's another rock down in Cardwell that shows the end of the track. Oh, yeah. But it was a big, big track. It was like uh, 10 metres wide or something. Yeah. Huge. Oh, just imagine like... When, I, when you go bush and you just go across a hill and you're, you're up on top of that hill and you see another hill... It looks a long way away, but it's probably only five k's away. And you're like, "That's only five k's." Yeah, <laughs> you got it's eighty k's from here to Cairns. You got eighty <laughs> k's of looking at another hill five k's away. Sort of thing. So, how the fuck do you get through there? I was up up um, the Cape on the weekend, and we seen this massive sand dune. I said, "I, I want to go climb it." We got halfway through the bush. I couldn't penetrate the bush to get through <laughs> to the sand room without cutting myself to bits. Yeah. I didn't have a knife or anything, but I was like, it looks so easy to get to. Yeah. And then I was just, I got to the edge and I'm like, I can't get in any further. <laughs> I don't know how, how, how do these, old, like in the old days, how do they get through all this From shit? From here to cardboard too. Yeah. Like, what's that, like 100Ks essentially. Yeah. And, and it would have been big, dense forest. And just the, swamp. Mm, Shit well. swamp. Yeah. Crocodiles everywhere. <laughs> Look, the locals obviously probably not happy about him being there. Because yeah. he would have found a, a track as well that they probably use and then had to fight with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> the use of the track. But he may have turned it from two horses wide to be able to pull a bullock. Yeah. Like a, bull, like a bullock train pulling yeah. logs out of there. So big job. Oh, bloody hell. Tough people back then. Yeah, we got it so easy, don't we? <laughs> All the land's already cleared. We just got to pick up rocks. <laughs> pick up the poor bloody Aboriginal axes that we've, we've thrown to the side. No, so, mate, this has been pretty awesome. We're, we're about an hour deep. Shit. <laughs> I'm going to miss tea. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> All right, we're going to have to pull it up then. You're a big boy. You got to, you've been picking up rocks all day. <laughs> Guess what I'll be doing tomorrow. <laughs> More of it. <laughs> no, I'm probably packing again. Packing. Yeah. <laughs> no, mate, it's been good to have you on. And, um, yeah, I actually met you through as when we um, did a – we did a – not a course. I got you out to have a look at something on my farm one day and you, you come out with as. So Yeah, that's right. Back in the olden days, you know, like <laughs> a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a wild ride. Yeah, it was <laughs> between now and then, jeez. Bloody Casper Coast Board Riders Club been is in action. <laughs> I have to get a photo. I'll, I'll 
put it on while I'm, I'm still recording. I'm still... Here we go. I'm just going to record this while we're on the... There we go. Here. Cheers, mate. Cheers with the beer. There we go. <laughs> it's empty, but it tasted all right, the dregs. <laughs> and <it was> warm. <laughs> well, mate, thanks for coming on. Thanks um, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Is your Instagram... Just William underscore Darvo. Yeah, so you're, it's not private? Nah. Nah. William underscore Darvo, if you want to check out what this beast looks like. Handsome. Handsome man. <laughs> he's uh, got a bub on the way. He's got a beautiful wife and yep. a bub on the way. So in February. He's a, lucky, he's a lucky man at the moment. Big things in the works. Big things in the works. <laughs> <laughs> he is a big thing too. Yeah. <laughs> Measuring a bit too big, actually. I tell him to slow down. <laughs> well, tell, get your missus start darring. <laughs> Make some smaller. <laughs> Better on the piss with you and me. Yeah. <laughs> no. Can't wait. We're well, excited. Well, all the best for the future. And, um, thanks, mate. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for me. coming in. If mate. you ever want more yarns. Oh, yeah. If we're going to get some. I'm going to get you and Kevin. If Kevin comes up, I'll get you two together and we could talk proper. Yeah, I'd like to meet him. Say so you hear the Aboriginal side and then the white yeah. side. I'd love to. I'm, I really like learning about all of that. And I think, you know, there's a lot untold yeah. that, you know, needs to be shared, I think. Yeah. I'm a big believer of changing those place names that we have back to Aboriginal place names and yeah. the only way we can move forward is by, you know, really coming together and, and acknowledging acknowledging it, everything. Yeah. Taking yeah. it all on board, moving yeah. forward with it. Mate, that's awesome. Thanks oh, very much. I, I keep forgetting to um, ask this question of people. I'm gonna start again. What's a bet what's one thing everyone could do better to not be a cunt? I think the main lesson is don't get in the boat that can fit 30 people with just you and a few other mates. What <laughs> <laughs> the ship's going down? I'm going to edit all the crap before this because it took me half an hour to get the fucker out. <laughs> all, all right, mate. Good on you. Cheers. See you later. See ya. Hooray. All right. Thanks again, William Darvo. Check him out on Instagram, William underscore Darvo, I think it is. So check him out. And um, this podcast is brought to you by Fish Skins AU. The new range is out right now. Don't you hate how people change their voice? Just as pretty commercial. But these shirts are fucking awesome. I actually went up bush on the weekend, and that's pretty much all I wore all weekend. Was me Fish Skins gear out in the... Everyone I come back, they're like, geez, your, your head's tan, Tony, but... And then I showed them my arms and that, and like, oh, they're not tanned. I'm like, yeah, because I've my fish skins on, bro. So wear your fish skins, and shit, shit'll be good out the reef, eh? Also, like this, uh, for all the people um, getting in contact about the last episodes and stuff, keep them up, and um, we'll keep this ball rolling. So thanks a lot, everybody. Share this yarn with your mate. That's all I need you to do. I don't really need you to do it, just if you'd like to. Like I always say, when you run out of podcasts or your friends run out of podcasts, give me a hoy, say, hey, listen to Tajan, see if you like that. And we'll go from there. Let's build this baby up so um, we can get some more interesting people and chat a wider crowd. How about that? Cheers, people. Bye.